morning. It's good to see everyone. Um, we, we're going to start a new series today from the book of Acts. And um, it's going to take us all the way till the end of November. And it's basically nine themes altogether with uh, some um, services that come between the, these themes. But the, the whole idea is that um, we, want, we want to learn as a church from the book of Acts. When we went away, the three of us, Dave, Pete, and I, and we, we were talking about the vision, we were talking about stuff that had to do with the church, and we came up with uh, the phrase, as we want to be uh, people rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we want to serve him in all the areas of life, we want to proclaim him in all the areas of life, and we want to be uh, people of passion, courage, and conviction. Um, and when we, when we tried to, to, to talk about this, um, we said, oh, but we see all these details in the book of Acts. So on, on that positive note, um, there's these nine themes, and basically we, we want to come to the book of Acts as a, as a learning manual. Um, we also want to do that as a church in our discipleship group, so we... If you go to the websites and you go to resources, you've got one line there that says discipleship group materials. That is going to be updated on every Monday evening, and you can have it for the following week. So for those who you've been in discipleship groups this week, you were able to check that online. So I'm, I'm going to be keeping um, an eye on that. Apologies for last week because we had problems with the website, so we did not... Um, uploaded it when we said we would we did it one day um, later also what has been helpful for me uh, for those of you who have time and like films there is a a YouTube clip um, which is from the visual bible and if you put on the YouTube the visual bible the book of acts is the whole book of acts being acted out and there is no interpretation. It's just actors who um, say the scripture. So if, if that is any help to you, feel free to go to YouTube. And it's the visual Bible, the book of Acts. It's three hours and 12 minutes. But when, when we look at the book of Acts, we want to look at it as inspiring because, in fact, it is a biography of the Holy Spirit. It deals with the work of the risen Christ. Because it deals with the birth of the church. And not only the birth, but also the expansion, the growth of it. Um, we cannot approach Acts and not be honest with ourselves to ask the question... Is this power, is this vitality, is this excitement, is this joy evident in our lives today? Is it evident in the life of our church? How? And 
If not, why not? Luke is the author of the book of Acts, and it's his second book that he writes, because we know Luke from the Gospel of Luke. And he, he, writes, it, he writes this book to Theophilus, and he wants, he wants to present to him this God of mission. Now, the theme for today is Dr. Luke presents the God of mission. Um, there are many thoughts that go around about Theophilus, but um, my take on it, and I shared it with the discipleship group, is that I think he was a Roman citizen. And he was a high Roman citizen because um, we see how he refers to him in the Gospel of Luke, Your Excellency Theophilus. And there's only three persons in the New Testament that are referred like that. But let's not worry about that. Let's worry, why did Luke write it to Theophilus? if he was a Roman citizen. Now, my take on it would be that for Theophilus to embrace Christ and for him to understand the whole story of Jesus coming to earth, for him to understand what he had done, he has to understand how on earth did the gospel come all the way from Jerusalem to Rome. And Luke, in his nice way of writing, I would re- really encourage you guys to read it through this week. It's a, it's a very easy to read book. It's amazing. And his nice way of writing, he wants to kind of show to Theophilus that the reason why the gospel is in Rome is because we're talking about a God of mission. I want to write to you about a God who loves people. And I want to write to you about a God who wants to reconcile with his creation. And he has done it in the cross. He has done it through his burial. He has run it through his empty tomb. And now we're talking about ascension. And then this is the genesis. I've, I've written it on the material and the a discipleship group. This is the genesis of the church. So there are two unique features that um, Luke wants to introduce. He wants to continue the story that began with the Gospels. Because if the Gospels were embrace this Christ, embrace this kingdom, talk about the kingdom of God, it looks like Luke wants to present us with the final product. This is what the kingdom of God on earth looks like. This is the results. These are the fruit of the gospel. But on the other hand, it's a very unique book because the second feature is that it stands on itself as a hinge between the gospels and the rest of the New Testament. And I must say this, it's a very well-oiled and never-failing hinge. 
if we would not have had the book of Acts, if Luke would have not written his second letter to Theophilus, I think we'd have big troubles today trying to understand Paul. And why did he write from prison? And why was he in prison? Because he was a Roman citizen. So it is a very well-established, well-oiled, very well-functioning hinge between the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament. Um, I came across a phrase, and I would like to introduce this to you, and I'll mention it in the end as well. The Christian church, according to Acts, it's a missionary church that responds obediently to Jesus' commission, acts on Jesus' behalf in the extension of his ministry, focuses its proclamation of the kingdom of God in its witness of Jesus, is guided and empowered by the self-same spirit that directed and supported Jesus' ministry, and follows a program whose guidelines for outreach have been set by Jesus himself. I'll come back to this later on. But here we've got the book of Acts. And Luke, the historian, is going to pen down details which give us a very good picture. Um, So... Theophilus was one of the purposes that he wrote it. But also, we talked about, we started, we started the, the, the service this morning talking about promises. And, we talk, and Richard passed on saying, um, talking about the new beginnings, the beginnings. And somehow, Luke's wants to make sure, Luke wants to make sure that he shows to Theophilus that the plans and the purposes of God are going to be worked out through history, whether we like it or not. And when, when I think of the beginnings of the church, I think of Jesus talking to Peter and saying, Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell not go against it. So, in one sense, it's a fulfillment, not only of the promises of God, but it's also a sense of fulfillment of promises of Christ to his disciples. And the third purpose is that Luke provides us, provides to us, and to the early Christians, some good apologetic material that how they could defend their faith. How could Paul, and how can we learn from Paul, defending his faith? Now, I'm not sure about this phrase, and you have to correct me. Actually, I'll go what my wife has suggested. Um, the first three verses are very crucial And I've called them, there is no lightning without thunder. There is no lightning without thunder. 
Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them, after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. Instructions about the kingdom of God. There is no lightning without thunder. And then all of a sudden, from verses below, then we've got Luke presenting what really happened at the Pentecost. But before we move to that, I want to go back to the promise that Jesus had given to the disciples. And that is verse 5. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Do you see how important is this fulfillment of promises for Luke? Not only for him himself to experience it, but he wants to make sure that this guy in Rome understands that this Jesus of Nazarene is not just a guy who did something and then he said things and people were not sure. He was serious about what he said and they were fulfilled. Now, why, why Pentecost? Why Pentecost? It was a, it was a celebration. And all these guys had come to Jerusalem. It was the 20 miles radius that they were supposed to come every Pentecost and celebrate. So they've come here for a celebration. They've come here on a bank holiday. And all of a sudden, they're faced with something which is very strange. They're faced with God's unfolding his purposes for the salvation of people. They're faced with the Almighty God. They return to Jerusalem for the mountain called Olivet. They went to the upper room, and Luke names all the disciples, the eleven. And these guys were in one accord and devoting themselves to prayer, together with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brother. So there is that sense of expectation. There is that sense of, God, you're going to do something. God, you're going to do something with us, aren't you? And it's, it, it, takes, sorry, it takes off. It takes off because Peter stands up. Now, in our discipleship group, we talked about this last Thursday. Where was Peter after the crucifixion? Where were the rest of the disciples? They've been with Jesus for three years. 
But we see here that somehow these disciples had come to that place of being in the same page together. And whatever God had promised for them, they're going to wait for him. So Peter stands up and he says, again, scripture has to be fulfilled. Do you see how important it is for Luke? Scripture has to be fulfilled. David, and then he carries on to talk about uh, prophecy of Joel, and then it's the appointment of the 12th apostle, which is going to replace Judas. Now, what's happening here is that the whole institutionalized Jewish mentality is being challenged. And it's being challenged on the basis of their own scripture. It's being challenged on the basis of the Old Testament. Because everything was formal. Everything that Jesus said didn't go anywhere with them. They couldn't embrace the fact that the Messiah would go to the cross and be crucified for the whole world. They couldn't go to the fact, they couldn't embrace the fact that this Messiah was going to die and be buried. And let's not carry on talking about the resurrection. Because they couldn't think it. It reminds me of a story A story that probably you have heard maybe from me before. Um, a story talk, um, s- spoken about um, a life-saving mission. And it started off with one member of the community building this hut. And he wanted to go and help people who had problems in the sea. And then some other people saw what he was doing. And they said, oh, maybe we might join you and come and help you. And then more people joined this hut. It was still very, it was still very run down. Now, it was a rundown building, but it was saving lives. Some of those who were saved wanted to become associated to this station, saving station, and give their time and money and effort and support its work. And it was still an old hut with a very old wooden boat, which was still saving lives. But now that more people joined it, new boats and new crews were trained. The life station grew. Now, some members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the, the building was so ugly and the people were very poorly equipped. 
And they, they propose to have a better place. So it will be a nice refuge to save people from the rough seas. The story goes to say that they replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members and they decorated it beautifully and furnished it. And as the mission, the life-saving mission got bigger, fewer people were interested in going out in the sea to save life. So what they did is they decided to hire lifeboat crews to do the work for them. At this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast. And hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty, sick, some of them had had black skin and some had had yellow skin. The beautiful club now was in chaos. So the committee decided that they have a nice shower before they come to the building. So the victims can come clean into this nice building. And so forth. The, build, the next meeting, they decided to split up. Um, most of the members wanted to stop the club life-saving activities because they were unpleasant and they were hindering all their agendas. Some members insisted upon life-saving as their primary purpose. But finally, they voted them down and told that if they wanted to save the lives of all those various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those water, they could have their own life-saving station. And that's what they did. And this story in Acts reminds me a little bit of this formality that has lost the sense Peter reminded us last Sunday about when Joshua was dealing with the people, they've promised that they were going to be with God. They've promised, you know, we will follow God. And we know that the rest of the Old Testament is full of stories. I'm not here to stand to say, say, oh, the Jewish people and such and such. But what I'm saying is that somehow we become victims of our own comfort zones. And I think Luke wants to challenge us by providing this evidence that when God is at work, when people are walking in accord to his spirit, when people are responsive to what Christ has done and they've embraced the spirit, things are never the same again. Theophilus comes to mind, but without, with Theophilus comes to mind all those generations, 
21st century comes to my mind. Year 2013 comes to my mind. And I'm asking that question to Cairns Road this morning. I'm asking that question to you. Who is your Theophilus? Who is our Theophilus? That we want to pass on evidence that God has been at work. That that gospel that has reached you, that gospel that has reached that person that we've got in mind, is passed on through generations to generations. And we enjoy the benefits of it today. Now, Luke, Dr. Luke wants to present the God of mission because he sees that God is passionate about the lost. He sees that God is passionate about people. And so should the church be. But he has to start somewhere. And verse 8 of chapter 1 is the... Um, core verse of the whole book of Acts. Luke says, let's read it together, 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is God's Agenda for the reconciliation with the world, which is different than our political, our social agendas. God is very serious to reconcile with his people. That's why he brought Jesus in the first place. And this is the good news. This is the good news that Jesus is encouraging the disciples that they're going to witness when the Holy Spirit comes into them. Do we want to be people filled with the Holy Spirit? Or do we want to be another life-saving station? Application number two. God of the mission has got a father's heart and there is one thing that he's unreserved about if we ask him there is one thing that he's unreserved about if we ask him and we read it in the gospel you know what that is it's the holy spirit if you go to Luke 15 11 sorry 5 to 13, it's that question that Jesus asks. If a son asks his father, wouldn't he give him a nice gift? How much more, how much more will your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit or give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It is guaranteed. There is one thing when we did the, when we did the um, Sunday services in the 
uh, afternoons in August, Ruth did one um, slot, and she talked about the way God answers prayer. And it's yes, no, and wait. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, when we ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill us, God is unreserved because it is part of his agenda. How much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? But there is preparation. There is preparation for Pentecost. God wants to bless us with the Holy Spirit, but sometimes we are reluctant to assume our own responsibility. There is preparation for Pentecost because God of the mission wants to run his church on his own agenda. And guys, it's a big difference between playing church and being church. And the difference is the Holy Spirit. I'll say that again. There's a big difference with playing church and being church. And the difference is the Holy Spirit. And that same Spirit that assisted Christ in his ministry, that same Spirit that assisted the disciples, that assisted the early church in that ministry, that has assisted the church in the years, it's available to you and me this morning. It is available. It is a promise. That's why we talked about the promises in the beginning of the service. God's promises are true and amen in Jesus. So what are we going to do? Well, if we see what happened at Pentecost... The Holy Spirit came. What are we going to do with this Holy Spirit? Of course, we want to join this God of mission. But somehow, this is not a criticism, this is an observation. We have lost the perspective of eternity. I'm not here to preach about, what do you call it, um, fire and brimstone. I'm not here to preach about that. But, on a positive note, I want to preach, I want to share the gospel about an eternity with a loving Father. I want to preach about Christ who went to the cross and died for the whole world so each and every one of us who embraced him can experience the eternal life with God forever. It is easy to look on the negative side, but let's not lose perspective because it was that eternity perspective that made the disciples go and witness. We're going to see it. 
It was that perspective that Christ was going to come for the second time. And when he was going to come, they didn't need to know. All they needed was instructions about the kingdom. Read chapter chapter 1 of Acts. So that perspective of eternity, that perspective of God reconciling with his people through Christ Jesus, that is what motivated these guys. I want the Holy Spirit so badly to come in our midst and fill each and every one of us so when whatever, and I, I do pray this for you, for you guys. I do pray this for this church. I pray this for this city. Do you know why? You're going to hear this for the nine Sundays. Well, I'm not going to preach for the nine Sundays, but for at least four. Because the gospel is the only hope, and we must not be stopped. The gospel is the only hope for Cairns Roads. The gospel is the only hope for BS6. The gospel is the only hope for Bristol, Southwest, England. The gospel is the only hope for Albania, for the whole world. And we must not be stopped because it is the only hope. I'll finish with a phrase that I came this week. And with that phrase, we'll come to the communion table later on. Lost people matter to God. And therefore, they should matter to the church. And that's why we've got Acts chapter 2. Lost people matter to God, and therefore they should matter to church. And therefore, and that's why we've got Acts chapter 2. Luke wants to introduce this God of mission. He wants to present it because Luke has experienced it for himself. He has seen it that this God of mission has changed communities. And he doesn't want for Theophilus to miss it. Guys, there is a lesson for us to learn. Let's not miss the boat. As we come to an end, I want to remind us that whatever we are doing, wherever God has placed us, to be. If we have encountered the resurrected Christ, we've got the same Spirit who lives in us. And He has got the same power to empower us to be His witnesses. I have not covered as much as I should today, but I'd just love to finish with that idea that 
in the end of the day, it is about God's agenda. And that's why we're here. In the end of the day, it's about God's glory. And I hope that's why we're here for. So as we go out and live out this week, let us be reminded that God is not keeping the Holy Spirit from us. Let us be reminded that He is a generous Heavenly Father. And if there are things that we need to sort out in our lives in order for the Spirit to work, we just sang an hour ago, Lord, reign in me. Reign in your power. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. If we want for communities to be changed, we need to carry on in full sync with the Holy Spirit. Because he is in the full sync with a God of mission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus this morning and for whatever he did in the cross for us, suffering, nails. And we thank you, Lord, that he didn't stay in the cross, nor did he stay in the tomb, but he was resurrected. And thank you that because of that resurrection, he was able to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament. And thank you that today, Lord, we are partakers of those promises by your grace. But Lord, you also promised that you are not going to leave your followers orphans, but you were going to give them the Holy Spirit, Lord. And we see in Acts 1.8 that the Holy Spirit empowers so that's what we want to see, Lord, amongst us this morning. That's what we want to see this week, Lord, that that empowerment of your Holy Spirit is tangible in our lives, Lord. And if we've messed about, God, we come, we'll come to your table and we'll be reminded of your forgiveness. So we do say sorry, Lord. Lord, we want to glorify you. We want to worship you. And we want to walk with you. And we cannot do this, Lord, without your Holy Spirit. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.